Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So in the weirdest of years, and absolutely the weirdest of tennis years, we are somehow going to end up rounding off the final Grand Slam of the season with the most familiar of sights. We're going to see Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic play for the 56th time in their careers. That is right, 56. Contesting the French Open men's final, it's... It's kind of amazing. It's like a incredible irony. It's the most, I guess it's the most, I mean, okay, I mean, I've come onto this earlier than I intended to, but Matt and I did both predict this, but it is the most predictable thing, isn't it? In the most unpredictable of years, Rafael Nadal against Novak Djokovic. Mm. I was just thinking how predictable it is. And then I was thinking, well, why the hell didn't I predict it? <laughs> I mean, anyway, let's forget about that bit. Um, yeah. It's it, when you actually think about it, given what they have done to the rest of the tennis world for goodness knows how many years now, and particularly given that the third wheel is not there, Roger Federer, it's it's not surprising, is it? What what is nice though is that at least idiots like me do think that there's a possibility that Dominic Team could have broken up the the little group at the top there for this tournament, and then today we've seen a guy who's pushing and trying to get there, who has given me that little bit of kind of Dominic team-like hope that that there is another person who's going to force his way in, and that's Stefano Tsitsipas. Do, do you, are you aware the kind of trolling we're going to get, get from Federer fans? I was going to say. You've just called him a third wheel. <laughs> Tough <laughs> day for Federer. Third wheel. Nadal might equal his Grand Slam record. It's, it's a compliment. It's well. It's a compliment. <laughs> Third wheel is never a compliment. Is it not? What, what's it usually used for? Just means you're a spare part, doesn't it? Well, you know. I mean, he kind of is at the moment, isn't he? You're not even relevant. Gate crashing your your mate's date or something. At the moment, he's 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 okay. He's... Irrelevant and a third wheel. Cue trolling. <laughs> Great. He's you know he's he's rehabbing, isn't he? Please assign these quotes to David Law, not the tennis podcast. Correct. So we're either going to end up with 
with Nadal equaling Federer on 20, or going to end up with each of them on 18, 19 and 20? Very, very hypothetical question. If you were Roger oh Federer, who do you want We're going to very early with all of this. Oof. Who's he supporting? Mm. He's supporting Nadal. I He's think supporting so as Nadal. Well. Yeah, okay. I think he can make a peace with Nadal overtaking him in a way that he perhaps couldn't make a peace with Djokovic overtaking him. And I also think if Nadal wins, that really extends how long Djokovic needs to stay at the top and winning Grand Slams in order to overtake him. You're looking at probably two more years worth, which I'm sure he's capable of, but it's a very, very big task. Whereas if he gets to 18 on Sunday, you could very much see him equaling Federer's record next year. Crikey. So that's Sunday. What about today? Should we should we start with the story or should we go should we go chronologically? I mean I've sort of already forgotten Nadal against Schwartzman. I feel I remember the first two games and I feel like I know this is extremely reductive, but I kind of feel like that was the match. Yeah, I think I think that's actually does encapsulate it on the whole, doesn't it? Because the first game was fourteen minutes long. And it was Nadal holding and fighting and keeping Schwartzman at bay just about when when he and he and he wasn't really playing that well early on. I don't think Nadal. I thought he, I think he was playing quite carefully. I don't think he was feeling the ball. I don't think there was that much confidence. Amazing to think that these people who are this great get nervous. But that's that's how it looked. I'm pretty sure that's how it was. Um, but he got through the game the way he does, and then he struck and won the second game, and he, he's he's two love up. Um, and I just sort of thought, I mean, and these games were lasted forever, wasn't it? About twenty five minutes for two one or something like that. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, that, it did feel like the match as a whole, even though the third set was closer. But um, yeah, that was where the match really was won. Yeah, it felt like a match in in terms of Nadal of three quite distinct phases I felt a slightly nervous okay start where he had to weather a storm with Schwartzman playing really really well the middle portion of the match I thought Nadal was really strong and I think that was probably when the conditions favoured him the most it was when it was sunniest okay there was this awkward shadow on the court which was also difficult as a viewer but I, I imagine it was difficult to play in as well but I thought Nadal was really strong through the middle hour of that match. And then the part that stays stays with me the most is Nadal getting pretty tight in that third set and seeming nervous, seeming a little bit fatigued, I felt, and twice giving up his his break of serve and letting Schwartzman back into the match. But then also, once it got really, really sticky for him, raising his level when he just when he needed to five all 15 40 down came up with three forehand winners then faced another break point and came up with a serve and volley and it was that intent and that aggression which I think had been missing from him for that set he was quite conservative and then he just stepped it up even more in the tie break and won it seven love I think didn't he so for me the it was one of those matches where because the end was kind of exciting and memorable i i i actually slightly forgot more about the start and the middle of it that was my lasting impression Nadal being a little bit nervous but when he needed to 
finishing it off. And um, I think that was his his assessment as well. He he was happy with the way he played, but also thinks that he needs to step it up another level for the final. Mm. Mm. I, I think I think why I fixated so much on those opening couple of games, in particular that opening Nadal service game where Schwartzman had multiple break points, um, and as you say, 14 minutes long, was because <laughs> even at the time, it 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 felt crucial. It felt essential that Diego Schwartzman broke serve there, and that maybe sounds ridiculous, but I if we if we have learned and had anything emphasised to us about the very very top players, Nadal, Djokovic, I was going to say Federer, but he's third wheeling his way through Switzerland at the moment, not not Federer. Um, it's that you 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 will get one or two chances and you have to take them. And if one of those is in the opening game of the match, you've got to be ready for it and you've got to take it because they will slam that door shut on you so quickly. They'll jam your fingers in it. And that that is kind of what happened, isn't it? I mean, you just knew that he wasn't going to get a chance like that for the set. And it, it so it proved set over and it's in the blink of an eye. The tables have turned so quickly. Um, and I said to you, didn't I, um, on the WhatsApp group in um, in the third set that you, David, you commented on on how on how nervous Nadal suddenly looked, and it did to me have real echoes of that. Just in Nadal's demeanor of that 2019 US Open final, when he just suddenly tightened up and got nervous against Medvedev and, and let him back in the door, I I didn't think that would happen to that extent against Schwartzman today, but I bet he's bet he's relieved that that was over in uh, in three sets, especially given what happened in the second semi-final, which he'd have been watching with his feet up and um, a bucket of twiglets if he was anything like me. Yeah, yeah I mean, because look, the, the mental scar tissue, even as when they've won as many times as they have, if they start to get a bit of a routine of doing that, of losing leads like he did against Medvedev, I think it can, one can affect another one in the future and I, I think when players age they do become quite prone to this even the very best of players um, I remember speaking to Martina Navratilova in commentary once about it and she said it definitely happened to her late on that it's harder to close that you do get more nervous when you're older Leighton Hewitt lost so many matches late on in his career that he was winning because his his kind of nerve went, and I think it's that feeling of mortality of of have I still got it? Can, can I still get over the line? I still want to be able to do it, but can I? Um, I mean, Nadal has proved today. He just kept on putting his foot down. I mean, fourteen minute first game in that match. Chris Clary tweeted that if this match carries on at this rate and is six love, six love, six love, it'll be four hours plus long. Um, but I mean, the speed with which it then accelerated and games were flying by was was extreme but you're right when it got in that third set the look in Nadal's eyes and some of the misses because he got got himself broken back you're just not expecting that and it, and it does it makes you question what your belief systems i think um about, that we've built up over many many years of evidence with these players but uh Still, he um, he finished emphatically. The fact that he brushed that off in that third set tiebreak the way he did, I think, is a, will really satisfy him. 
yeah. Uh, I think I think he'll be extremely pleased with how today went. He he's, he's extremely he respects Diego Schwartzman a lot, doesn't he? He's got a lot of time for Diego Schwartzman. He was not taking he was not taking that challenge lightly at all today. Not a hint of complacency. And yeah, he got to put his feet up and watch his final opponent get put through the ringer. Didn't look like he was going to get put through the ringer, but um, put through the ringer he was. As were you, David. Three sets of commentary. I was worried. In, in you, you were doing sets one, three, and five of uh, Sitsipas and Djokovic, and I was worried after the third set that that there was nowhere for you to go volume wise. Your your enthusiasm and um, well, it was magnificent. Your the way you brought that set of tennis and the drama of it to life. But I thought, goodness me, if this goes to five, what's David going to do? Well, Where's I mean, he going to go? He's going to have to reach for the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> and then goodness knows what might have happened. Um, that third set was is the ultimate as a commentary experience, I would say, um, just because it feel, felt so unlikely when it was going along. And if we if we go back to, to the start of the match, the early exchanges were good. I mean, in terms of just two tennis players duking it out, I really, I really enjoyed the matchup, and I thought I would, and I did. Um, it's just that Sitsipas wasn't winning any of the important points, was he? What, what was he zero for ten on break points throughout the match until that third set? And Djokovic just seemed to have the measure of him, and he and Djokovic was on it today. There was no tape on the back of his neck there was no anxiety and I I really feel that there's a good chance that some of the physical distress he was feeling in the previous round and even in the practice was because he was stressed at the prospects of playing Karina Buster again um, who we know what happened last time he played him I can I can imagine that being the case Um, but there was none of that today he was he was serene for the first couple of sets he was playing very cleverly, lots of drop shots, lots of wrong footing shots, just making a guy who moves as well as Sitsipas look sometimes a little bit heavy legged, uh, just because he's a big frame to be suddenly having to move on a dime like that. But to get to 5 4 in the third set, serving for it, and to have match points, if somebody had told me we would have another two hours of tennis at that point, I would not have believed it possible. Not in David was ordering his Nando's at that That's point. Right. I, I'm, I'm Nando's free tonight. In fact, I'm everything free because it's finished <laughs> too late and nothing's open. So I'm sat here. I've got this. Oh, God, he's holding up a really small Satsuma. <laughs> That's it. All my whiskies have gone. Everything's gone. But I don't care because I'm high on the adrenaline of what we've just experienced. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, when, when he came back and the crowd were into it and Sitsipas was playing out of his mind to to turn that around and break twice in a row. Don't forget, because he started serving in the fourth set as well. He was absolutely spellbinding, I thought. And I I just think, even though he's ended up losing, it's a massive step in the career of Stefanos Sitsipas to to, to be under the gun against one of the all-time greats in a semi-final of a Grand Slam and just not go away and turn it around. Okay, he didn't win, but he it was a victory for him. Yeah, it was one of those matches which really showed off the brilliance of the tennis scoring system. I mean, the the subtlest of change made the biggest of difference in the match in terms of 
exactly as you said, David, how they played on those big points. I mean, you could literally draw a line down the middle of the match where the first half it was Novak Djokovic playing well on the big points and Sitsipas, I thought, to begin with, was far too aggressive on them. He made errors on his break points and then he became far too conservative on them. He couldn't strike the right balance of what to do on those big points and Djokovic was as solid as anything, just, just like you'd expect from him. But then when Djokovic came to serve for the match in that third set, he blinked on the big points and suddenly Sitsipas was, was the one playing them well and he carried that on for the next hour. He was under constant pressure in that fourth set on his serve. And you said, David, on our WhatsApp group, do you think we're getting a fifth set here? And I said, no, I don't, I don't think we are because he's hanging on Sitsipas. I think eventually Djokovic is going to take one of these chances. And then he didn't. And then I started to think, OK, maybe we have a really, really crazy match on our hands here where Djokovic's level, I don't think, has dipped that much in this match. He's just not playing the big points well. And I wondered whether that would carry on in the fifth set. But it transpired that Tsitsipas was spent in that fifth set. And he said in his press conference he was feeling an injury, which he picked up in Rome, kind of resurfacing. And just, I think, the general toll of being under constant pressure and so many matches in his legs and that injury just all caught up with him in that fifth set and Novak Djokovic was ruthless and played a lot of drop shots made him run and as I said his his level didn't was fairly constant I felt throughout the match Djokovic it was a high level throughout and he was forcing Sitsapas to play at the top of his game to live with him and as soon as Sitsapas dropped in that fifth set it was it was a bit of a non-event really but just an incredible effort from Sitsipas to dig in and find a way and turn that match around. And I agree, that's that's so encouraging for him going forward. Just to focus on those those opening couple of sets for for a moment, where where I I thought I thought Djokovic was just utterly magnificent. Um, I was disappointed that it wasn't more of a contest. I was disappointed that Sitsipas was unable to to be more spectacular and some of his more explosive shots weren't coming off. But that's what Djokovic does to you. It's a slow strangulation, isn't it? It's making you go that bit closer to the line than you feel comfortable doing. And and uh, yeah, he was picking picking Sitsipas apart in that way. But Sitsipas's take, um, just reading his press conference quotes on those opening couple of sets, um, were that he wishes he could have figured certain things out earlier. He says, I don't know. I felt like it was a total demolition. The fact that I tried those things in practice and tried to implement them in the match, it was something new. I wish I, wish I wouldn't have tried these things and tried to stay to my ordinary and basic way of feeling the ball and also trying to dictate the the game. I think that was a huge mistake today, that I tried this for two sets in a row, then came back to my old way of doing things. Yeah, as you saw, it was a good comeback, and I think I played great tennis after that, except the fifth set, which I believe my body was not ready. What do we think he was doing in those opening two sets, that he'd, he'd obviously come onto the court thinking, right, this is my strategy today it might not be how I usually play but this is what I'm going to do because it t- to my eye it looked pretty typical Stefano Sitsipas stuff it was just that Djokovic was su- supreme yeah it's one of those where you would love to have a follow-up and say well what were you trying out in those first couple of sets that didn't work because I couldn't tell anything that wasn't 
normal. I thought there were things that Djokovic was doing to him that made life really difficult. And it was almost like the eight games that he played against Rublev when Rublev was just sticking every single ball on the baseline and being relentless and was 5-3 up on him. That seemed to last basically for two and a half sets in Djokovic's favour because that's just that's Djokovic all, all over. He's the best ever at, at that sort of type of tennis. Just no way through. There's just like an impregnable fortress. But what Tsitsipas did is, is hang around long enough until he really hit the zone himself, I think, because the way he was hitting through... Djokovic, particularly in that fourth set, when you described Matt how you couldn't really see this going to a five, I, I felt the same. I, he's out on his feet, but then he just zoned at the end of that, right at the end of the fourth set. Stayed with him long enough until he just started hitting winners a little bit. It was a little bit like when Dominic Team played Djokovic at um, at the O2 when Djokovic is playing a good match and putting every ball on the baseline, and sits and Team is still hitting winners. And, it, and the same with Vavrinka at the French Open five years ago. It was that kind of little spell that got him into a fifth set. Um, I actually incidentally thought Djokovic had a little spell of his own right at the end of the match where you could see all mm. the pressure had suddenly gone from mm-hmm. him, all the tension had gone, and he was just trying to hit spectacular winners out of the middle of the racket because he just felt so good. But um, tactically... I didn't. I couldn't tell anything. I mean, and and nothing really that the commentators I was with, Leon Smith and Naomi Brody, were, were drawing my attention to anything that that Sitsipas was doing wrong. I just felt like you said he was. He kept being put off balance because of the the clever way Djokovic was playing. Yeah, he kept wrong footing him. Yeah. didn't he? That was something mm. you picked up on, Matt. Yeah, and that was something that Sitsipas then started doing. Certainly, that was one tactical thing. He did change. He started going back behind Novak Djokovic a lot more. That was something Fabrice Santoro noted on the ITV commentary. And that that did seem to really help Sitsipas. It maybe got Djokovic a little bit off balance sometimes himself. Um, I was most fascinated by that concept of Sitsipas's belief, which we talked a lot about yesterday. And one of the reasons why we think we gave him a fighting chance today against Djokovic is he does have that belief that he can beat them. He almost thinks he should be beating them, I think. That was really interesting to observe in the first two sets because I felt like that was to his disadvantage almost in those first two sets because he he sort of couldn't believe what was happening to him and he let that stress him out. And I think there was a period there where the match started to run away from him a bit. Certainly the end of that second set, he kind of checked out of it. But, of course, the belief was also the pillar of... The comeback. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting. He, he kind of needs to, I think, learn to accept that Novak Djokovic is a brilliant, brilliant tennis player and he's not going to be able to beat him all the time. And I think maybe, maybe that was a subtle change that happened in the third set where he thought, OK, I just need to hang with him here. I can't, I can't expect to outplay him. But what I can do is perhaps get inspired for a moment and nick a set like he did in the third and fourth. And I think he became match tougher as the match went on and realised that he needed to pick his moments rather than getting stressed out by the fact that he wasn't outplaying Novak Djokovic. That's a, that's a perfectly legitimate thing to not be able to do and maybe that's something he learned as the match went on. It's so interesting because it does not come naturally to him, does it? If mm. you think about how confused as well as despairing he was after he lost to Nadal at the Australian Open last year I can't believe that was only last year 
um, in the semi-finals after having beaten Federer a couple of rounds before, he obviously thought, "Oh, but I beat top players now. I beat Federer, so so this is another one of those. So obviously, I win. I win these matches." And he was so confused and surprised <laughs> by and bewildered by what had happened. And that is that is not at all seemingly his his reaction after the match tonight he's already in very un un more previous stefanos sitsipas like uh, terms he's he's already talking about taking the positives despair levels seem to be relatively low manageable. i'd say manageable yeah uh, i mean the um the, the the match you describe, I mean, I remember after that, because of that almost, he, he when he was asked which is the toughest of the top three to play, he said, Oh, Nadal. You know, it was immediate. <laughs> oh Nadal, absolutely. You know, he's the what because because of that experience, I'm I'm fairly sure. Um so I, again I do think he was rocked back on his heels by the fact that he suddenly found himself two sets to love down and and a breakdown against this guy who he's beaten twice before. It's just that they're they're different beasts in these Grand Slam semi-finals. That's why they're so great. Um, but um, no, I, I, um, I the one thing that's occurred to me watching both Nadal and Djokovic tonight, and I'm sure there's been many other examples of it recently, and there's certainly plenty in in Federer's history over the last five years. I think those players in their older years are becoming a lot more tactical the way they play tennis matches. Nadal beat Schwartzman today and and he wasn't just blitzing him off the court. He was lifting those high, lofted shots, including on his backhand side, down the line to Schwartzman's backhand and giving it flight and playing, setting him up for opportunities to, to, to hit winners. Uh, Novak Djokovic hits a lot of drop shots now and, and drop shot lob combos. You know, there, there were dozens of them in the match. It, it, they didn't used to do this in in quite the the strategic way. I think that they did at the start of their careers. I mean, I think I think Djokovic hit a lot of drop shots early on in his career, but I think it was they were indulgent drop shots. I just think he enjoyed it. Now there's a real reason behind it. It's not just a point winner. It's a, a way to to take the legs from under Stefanos Tsitsipas. Look at the way Federer starts that suddenly changed his game and crowded the court and didn't play like he used to play. They're using the brains the older they get. Yeah, it's such a reason for their longevity, the way they're able to add layers and kind of, yeah, just improve year upon year. Um, I was also very impressed and surprised, actually, by how composed and calm Djokovic was today. There was there was one moment where he let out this roar when he, I think when he broke actually to serve for the match in the third set, he turned to his box and did one of his trademark roars. But the rest of the match, he was actually quite calm. And sometimes that can be a sign that he's not fully engaged in the match, but I never felt that at all. You know, he said on the court afterwards, didn't he, that those fires were burning inside, but he was was very conscious of the fact that he was trying not to show them on the outside and I'm not sure what to read into that but there was certainly an opportunity for him to get frustrated today he he was in the lead in that match and suddenly it got very complicated for him and normally I would expect I don't know maybe a racket smash or something but 
maybe it's an indication that he was satisfied with his level mm. throughout and just, you know, maybe he would credit Sitsipas for that comeback and maybe he knew that if it went deep, he he had him physically. Maybe he wasn't ever that worried. I don't think he it was. was. Very, very in, no. It was very, very interesting, I thought, that. Quite interesting how, of the three, of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Djokovic is the one who doesn't have a single facade. Federer, you know what he's going to look like all the way through a match. Nadal, the same, pretty much. Djokovic doesn't know. He, he, he's doing it. It's, it's feeling. He, he said that he actually said in his press conference the other day after that match, I'm not a robot. You know, I'm not, I'm not, a, and that's not to say that they are, but he doesn't know how to do that. He doesn't know how to just be one thing and win that way. And, um, I find that quite interesting. He's, he does ride a wave of, and I think today, I just think he felt really good. I think he came out hitting the ball incredibly well. He was pain free. I think when he when he feels a pain, he panics, and 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 it's a massive deal to 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 him, and he and he lets everybody know about it. But if he doesn't feel any pain at all, and he feels really good and loose like he did today, he can just take people apart, and that's why Sitsipas did so well to hang with him. Yeah, he did say that in his um, post match on court interview to, uh, with Cedric Pierling, didn't he? Which which was sort of vaguely farcical because. Uh, Djokovic did the interview in French, which is which is great. Um, so Pierline asks him the questions in French. Djokovic answers in French, and then Cedric Pierline, who who is good at English, but very very good at English, but I don't think as good an English speaker as Novak Djokovic, because <laughs> Novak Djokovic is utterly fluent like native speaker fluent, Cedric Pierlin then translates Djokovic's <laughs> French into slightly broken English that Djokovic ends up correcting him on. <laughs> I didn't say that. And Djokovic is French. Am I right in saying, I mean, you speak French, is it, his French probably isn't as good as his English? Oh, nowhere near. No, is no, right? nowhere near. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's perfectly fine for a, a fairly basic on-court on <laughs> interview and it's great that he does that, but nowhere near. I mean, as I say, he's a native speaker pretty much in English. I didn't know he did that. <laughs> so, I, I missed that. So correcting. It was, it was pretty ludicrous and he did, he did the interview with both his racket bags, one on each shoulder, which, which is a real message-sending move, isn't it? It's... Keep this short, mate. I've got a physio <laughs> waiting backstage. <laughs> and I always feel like Cedric Pierlin is s- slightly insulting Rafael Nadal's French. He always asked Nadal the first question in French, and then he asks him the second one in English, as if to say, oh, well, that was a failed exercise. Just... <laughs> nice try, mate. Yeah, let's just go with English. Yeah, it's like when you order something in French and the waiter speaks back to you in English and you die inside and you've never got the confidence to speak French ever again. Anytime I ever tried to say anything to anybody in Croatian, my wife's Croatian, when I went to, to Croatian, I'd say, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd been studying and I'd say something and they, they would often try to stifle a laugh and then they would just speak to me in English because they love, they love speaking to the English people. So, um, yeah, and I'd be like... Is there anybody who wants to speak Croatia with me? And yeah, but we don't. You don't. No. You, we can't really understand you, to be honest. <laughs> um, he said uh, in his press conference, uh, Djokovic, a few quotes coming out from that. He says, "I feel fine. A day and a half will be plenty of time for me to recover. I look forward to a great match with Rafa." And he really did look physically. He looked 
pretty much the same at the end of the matches at at the start, which is, I know it wasn't the longest five set match. And I know he didn't do as much running as, as sits a pass and his game isn't as quite as physical, but still for him to just look completely unbothered um, by the match was, was, was pretty spectacular really. Um, So Djokovic against Nadal. Naomi Brody. Now, she, I haven't got an updated view from her. Maybe you do, David, after the the latter three sets. But after the first couple of sets, I think actually it was midway through the the third set. Um, Naomi Brody and I think Leon Smith agreed with her on the on Five Live with you. Said that Djokovic playing like this is unbeat unbeatable, mm. even for twelve time champion Rafael Nadal. Yeah, it was quite. It, it was quite interesting because because I I felt I better say, well, hold on, Nadal's won twelve of these things, you know, on this court, um, and they they were very strong on it, um, and obviously that's before the comeback. The comeback happens. Djokovic gets the win, and after the match, we we had a further discussion, and uh, they were asked to pick their winners, including of the women's final and the men's final, and both of them went for Djokovic. Um, they just felt that his level in the two matches back to back, which is quite interesting given that Nadal won in three and Djokovic won in five, they just felt that Djokovic's level was cleaner and more or less perfect, really. Okay, he did lose two sets, but that wasn't really down to him and his level of play. So they, they both went for Djokovic. I, I wouldn't agree on the level. I think Djokovic's level has overall looked looked the better of the two but it's not always as simple as that is it i i just i just said djokovic's level was better yeah exactly that and they said it too yeah and i'm not disagreeing with that i'm just saying there's a lot more to it than that it's not it's not just whoever's going into the final playing the best tennis mm. yeah. it's it's matchups and it's 12 times a champion. Mm. Um, I uh, Sorry, Matt, I do think there's a... I can't get the Australian Open final of 2019 out of my mind. I do think there is a scenario in which, in which that happens, but I don't think it's the most likely scenario. Yeah, it strikes me as a, as a very interesting debate that we often have with matches about form versus history all the history is telling you where's the French Open final it, it kind of has to be Nadal doesn't it but I think if you just look at the form I mean we haven't seen anyone win a match point against Djokovic this year no one's beaten him and I thought back to back I would agree that he looked better today I think the tournament has gone as Nadal would have liked in terms of he's incrementally increased his level but I don't think the graph is quite steep enough yet. I thought he would be looking better than this personally by the semi-final stage. I think he was seven or eight out of 10 today. And I think he needs to be nine or 10 out of 10 to have a, to have a chance of beating Djokovic. And it's possible he will get there in, in two days. I think conditions will be a factor. I've, I had a quick look and it looks sort of partially sunny with not much wind. I'd have thought a, a windy day might have helped him. We know Djokovic doesn't like mm. playing in the wind, so that could come into it. Um, Djokovic has dominated 
their rivalry recently. He's won 14 of the last 18 matches, but then they're four and four on clay over the last eight. So, so clay is such a leveler, but Nadal has to, has to dig deep to beat Djokovic given the matchup, I think. And I, I just don't know whether he's, he's got the reserves having not had the matches in the last two or three weeks. So it's it's incredibly, incredibly exciting. I mean, to think we've not had them play at Roland Garros for five years is is very interesting as well. And so we, there's not much recent data to go on and the conditions are different. So it, it's it's an exceptionally hard one to call, I think. Yeah, there are so many cases you could make for either one of them, mm. isn't, aren't there? I mean, it was seven five six three six one the last time they played for Djokovic. Um, but... Nadal was going through a terrible time with his form at that point, wasn't he, in 2015? And, and his, his... That's the last time they played at, at Roland Garros? Yes. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Um, and, and, that, well, and that's the only time that, um, that Djokovic has beaten him at Roland Garros, isn't it? Mm. Um, and and I, I, I can't remember that many of their matches there. Um, in a way, the, the matches that stand out to me are... Are the ones where Djokovic has got the better better of him because of the the backhand down the line, the way he was just hurting Nadal, and and as you say, fourteen of the last eighteen matches overall, and then even the ones I think he's beaten him in Rome, hasn't he, uh, a couple of times, which uh, which are the ones that I kind of remember as Djokovic finding a way. Everything else is an avalanche of Nadal doing what Nadal does to everybody and outlasting him. And I think they had one classic, didn't they? Absolute classic. Yeah, the 2013 semi-final they played was a was a classic, and there was a that all turned on a incident in the fifth set when Djokovic touched the net with his racket. I think before the ball had bounced twice on Nadal's side of the net, and that was deep in the fifth set, and it all changed it. That was really nip and tuck the whole way, and then the 2012 final was the one that got postponed midway through the match to the Monday. And that was condition-led as well. When that got heavy and wet, Djokovic started taking over. I don't remember that much about the 2014 final, only that I think Djokovic won the first set and Nadal came back to win and took over. But I think in all those matches, Nadal has had to play kind of his best tennis just because the, the match-up favours Djokovic, even even on a clay court with that with that backhand. And of course, Nadal is is has been capable in the past of of finding his best I just I'm not as convinced as I normally would be that that he'll be able to do it on Sunday you're allowed 24 more hours to think mm. about it I'm quite glad using that. those 24 yeah, hours I tell you, yeah. you weren't... <laughs> I, I sit here and I and I think I, I find myself going yeah but Nadal's done this too so and then but Djokovic is remember when you know and I'm finding so many reasons to pull to sort of predict either one would win One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. It is head on the chopping block time for the women's final tomorrow. Shriontek and Kenin. What's happening? A 19-year-old, again, it's form versus history, isn't it? A 19-year-old who is playing just kind of the best possible tennis. You can imagine someone playing, coming coming into a maiden Grand Slam final, unless you're Mary Pierce, um, against a woman that's won a Grand Slam this year, who's won 50% of the Grand Slams this year. Mm. Do, do what do you go with? I mean... The the, ten, the better tennis I've seen has been from Sviantec. I, th- I think she's played the best tennis out of everybody, probably men or women. Her tennis has just been ridiculous, in in and particularly compared to what I expected. Sort of pound for pound, her tennis has just been extraordinary. Um, she played the doubles final today, a uh, double semi final today, and, and and lost seven six one six six four, losing to Desiree. Krajacek and and her partner Alexa Garacci, um, and this match was two hours and twenty eight minutes long. And I and I, I sort of it was it was going on whilst the first men's semi final was going on, and I just kept seeing the odd tweet pop up and saying this is really intense and there's a lot going on. Um, so I, I sent a tweet to Rene Denfield, Denfeld, who who works in tennis from time to time. And and I said, what's going on? Because I saw that he was watching it. And he said, Sviantec and Melikar were, had a double break lead in the first set. They lost the tie break, ran away with the second. Third was lots of breaks and some unlucky, unlucky moments. Um, and that he felt that that was kind of the biggest wobble that he's seen from Sviantec all the way through the tournament. Now, that may be absolutely irrelevant in terms of what happens in the singles final. But I do think two and a half hours the day before you play the singles final. I mean, I don't know whether that's helpful or not. I mean, Leon Smith was saying he thinks that that'll probably be helpful for her because it'll just get her in the groove, you know, no no time to just sit around and worry about the the final. But I do wonder, I do wonder whether that may be problematic for her. I think my biggest question mark going in to the final tomorrow is, A, how will Sviantec deal with her first Grand Slam final? I just don't think you can know the answer to that. You know, when she walks onto court, sees the trophy, how does that affect her? I I think she'll probably cope well, but 
I just don't know. And the other one is how will she cope in a stressful situation in the match? Because we've not seen that this tournament. So from that point of view, I was keeping an eye on the doubles today because that was a stressful match. And by all accounts, she she did get pretty tense. There was an argument she had with the umpire in the third set when she felt the ball had hit the throat of her racket and the umpire felt it had hit her hand. And there was there was a bit of a confrontation about that. And she got, you know, she got pretty upset about it. But she gave some quotes afterwards saying she generally gets more stressed in doubles anyway, you know, given that kind of responsibility she feels to her partner. I have no reason not to believe that that is the case. So I'm very, very interested because I do think Kenin will put her in more difficult situations than she's been in this this tournament. And and she won't go away. And, and, and Kenin has, has proved that she won't go away and she performs well in the biggest moments. And if she can make it close, I think Kenin becomes the favourite. So I think it's it's kind of on Kenin to stick with Sviontek and hope that she can pounce on, on those moments, even if she's getting outplayed in the match by Sviontek playing the more dramatic and extraordinary tennis. Mm. Very interesting. That women's... Uh... Doubles final, by the way, it will be Gracchi and Kravchik. Yep, I'm pronouncing it a completely different way to how David did uh, a few moments ago. But there we go, I've committed to it now. They will play uh, Barbora Krejcikova and Katerina Siniakova. Oh, no, they won't. Sorry, I tell a lie. They'll play Tamea Babosh and Christina Medanovic, who beat Krejcikova and Siniakova 6-2, in the first... Uh, semi-final on Longlen today. So that'll be the women's doubles final. The men's doubles final is tomorrow. It follows the women's singles final on Philippe Chatrier. That's the defending champions, Kravitz and Mies. They play Mate Pavic and Bruno Suarez. So that's the doubles. Um, does anyone want to say anything, make any further bolder predictions about the women's final tomorrow before I round up a few more results? I think like Kenin, names I think or Kenin, number of sets I think or Kenin's numbers? Kenin in three. You're both going Kenin? Yeah. Hang on, David, you predicted Shriantek to win the tournament about four days ago. Well, I've changed my mind. Right. You, Catherine? I'm going uh, Shriantek in two. I agree with you. The tighter it gets, the more I back Kenin. Um, so if it went to three, I would switch up my prediction. But I'm going to take in two. Right then, uh, we have had um, <laughs> we've had a bunch of other results today. So I've rounded up the doubles for you. We've had uh, the remaining boys and girls singles semi-finals. So our junior finals are set, and the boys junior finals. Uh, boys junior final is going to be an all Swiss affair is this the Roger Federer effect that third wheel (laughs) (laughs) inspiring uh, juniors all over Switzerland it's going to be Dominic Steven Stricker who beat Juan Bautista Torres of Argentina today and he will take on Leandro Ruidi uh, his country boy Steve what word is it (laughs) you say (laughs) I said, I said, Dominic Steven Stricker. Oh, like the golfer. 
Like the golfer, yeah. It says D.S. Stricker beat J.B. Torres in the results page. Uh, and in a, it was a spectacular so- scoreline. It was 6-love, 5-7, 6-love. Oh, that's epic. <laughs> yeah. And Amazing scoreline. I believe they've both been to train with Federer in, in Dubai during the last off-season. Um, at Ooh. the start of this year, I think I think they were both with Federer. So yes, a, a little little trickle down effect. And didn't Stan Wawrinka win French Open juniors? I think yes. So they, there's another Swiss connection. Yeah, I like it. In the girls' singles final, it's um, it's a French woman or a French girl, Elsa Jacquemot. Um I don't know if she has any connection to the brand of plus size men's clothing, but is it the same um, spelling? We'll we'll try and clarify that for anybody that's interested. Elsa Giacomo, who is the third seed from France, she beat Alina Chareva today. And uh, Alina, oh no, no, today, excuse me, today she beat Alexandra Ela. I'm going with Ela, E-A-L-A. If anyone wants to correct me, then you're very welcome to. And she's from the Philippines. Um, and I... I'm not sure I can think of a, a a significant player having come out of the Philippines before. That's a really interesting, I'd sort of like to know more about her. But let's start with learning how to pronounce her name. Uh, and it will be Elsa Giacomo playing Alina Chareva uh, in the girls' singles final. Predictions, anyone? <laughs> I think the Swiss guy will win. Me too, yeah. <laughs> I think Stricker. Steve Stricker is going to beat Fernando Torres. Steve Stricker for the win. Okay, uh, we've also had some uh, wheelchair results today and we're going to have some more tomorrow. Lots of matches, uh, lots of finals on the order of play tomorrow. Yui Kamiji has beaten her countrywoman Momoko Otani uh, 6-2, 6-1 in the wheelchair women's singles final. And that is a fourth French Open title for Yui Kamiji. Um, she has also, it doesn't end there for Yui Kamiji. She and, uh, her partner, Jordan Wiley have reached the doubles final six love six one. They won today over Buis and famine. Uh, and, uh, they are aiming to complete the slam for the year. They certainly won the U S open title, didn't they? Mm. Yui Kamiji and Jordan Wiley. They are such a lovely partnership. They speak so, they give me the feels. They give me the Mauwebe feels. Um, Jordan Wiley talks about Yui Kamiji as her, as a sort of, her, she says work wife, which isn't, actually I don't love that phrase, but you know, she's, she's going to be, um, she's going to be a maid of honor at her wedding. And, you know, she, I think that she describes her as sort of her, soulmate which is really really lovely and they're a a very formidable partnership so they will play in the wheelchair doubles final tomorrow against Dida de Groot and uh is it Anna van Koot the Dutch partnership it's the old uh French Open website not having the first names I'm pretty sure it's Anna van Koot um so that is the you're both looking at me like I'm I don't know the answer. Doing a fine job. That's what that facial expression is, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much, Matt. So uh, that's the wheelchair women's doubles uh, final tomorrow. That's the last match on Suzanne Longlen. Before that, it's Aniek Van Hoot. Aniek. I've heard she. I've heard she shortens it to to Anna. Um, 
That is unconfirmed, by the way. Dylan Allcott and Andy Lapthorne, the top two seeds, will play the quad uh, wheelchair men's singles before that. Uh, Andy Lapthorne uh, has never won the French before. He's won the Australian... Oh, no, he's won US Open a couple of times. He's reached the final of the Australian Wimbledon and now the French Open. So that's already a big result for him. Uh, Dylan Allcott... Uh, one, he's the defending French Open champion. So top seed, two seeds playing in that one tomorrow. And the first match of the day on Long Len, it is Alfie Hewitt. And I've got another one for you to Google here, David. Jay Gerrard of Belgium. That is the men's wheelchair singles final. Okay. And while you're Googling that, I'll tell you that Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed won the men's wheelchair doubles title today, beating Shingo Kaneda and G Fernandez in the final. And that means that those two have won the uh, slam. Have won the slam, which is amazing. So we've got Jordan Wiley and Yui Kamiji, who are going for their twelfth Grand Slam title tomorrow in the wheelchair women's doubles final. And Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed have won their ninth Grand Slam title together. These are big numbers. Yeah, aren't they? Joachim Gerard, <laughs> by the way. There you go. Thank you. You're my you're my first name specialist with the not particularly helpful French Open website. I did when I was when I was looking through all those numbers and results today and it sometimes can be a bit difficult to keep track on because there are so many events there's the singles there's the doubles there's the and there's the um quad events as well it did i mean and again excuse me for getting a bit brit centric here but it did strike me just how successful we as a country are at wheelchair tennis and a lot of wheelchair sport actually and there aren't many things to be proud of in this country at the moment. And I just had a wave of pride about that. That's a really, yeah, it's a really good thing to be high achieving at. Um, and yeah, it's great. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so that's all today and tomorrow. There's only two days left of this thing, folks. I know. I don't want it to be over now. I'm enjoying it. We've got ages until the next one. It's months away. Oh, Jim, we can imagine all the things we can still do, though. It's going to be great. Yes, there are there are many miles to go in the year 2020. Um, I want to send a very special hello to Cam uh, and Steve and Joe, uh, Cam's humans, because uh, Cam had a, a tricky night last night, but uh, he's hung in there, Stefano Sitsipas style. And uh, he wants to see the end of the French Open, doesn't he? Like us all. So we're thinking of you, Cam, Steve and Joe. Um, and we hope you have a better night tonight. Sweet dreams. Um, anyone else with anything Anything more? It's hard to follow Cam, isn't it? Well, I should say, go and have a look at our, our Instagram page and have a look at Toast. Oh, good things are happening there, folks. <laughs> Toast is having a blow dry on our Instagram page and it's well worth your time. Yeah. And there's also some new cam content coming in our newsletter. We have a lovely cam photo. Um, so sign up to the newsletter. It's brilliant. Tell your friends, leave us a review on iTunes and keep listening. We've got two more of these to come. Hope you're enjoying them 
and we will speak to you tomorrow. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.